Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. And so I'd like us to read together in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Remember, we're walking line by line, precept upon precept through the book of Ephesians. When you're there, if you will, stand with me. And this morning, the Lord brings us to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. As I mentioned last week in the case of wives and husbands, I would say the same thing this week as we look at some of the uh, individual relationships of people. You may read this and think, well, this doesn't really apply to me. All scripture applies to you. All scripture applies to me. And God calls us to be faithful in living it out. And I believe that if we open our hearts today, you'll receive from the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the reading of Scripture. We pray, Father, that today, as you have done in the past, that you would break the bread of life to us. So, God, we love you this morning. We thank you, and we would just pray, Lord, for your spirit to continue to move as we worship you through the reading and preaching of the word. We welcome your presence here today, and we thank you for all of these things. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen and amen. And you may be seated. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We thank the Lord for uh, his goodness and his graciousness. And uh, I am grateful for the Lord leading us through the word of God together. What a joy it is to walk through uh, the word of the Lord together. And here in a couple weeks, by God's grace, we'll finish out uh, the book of Ephesians. And one of the joys of walking line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is that as we finish this section of scripture, this, uh, this epistle, as we come to the end of it, we will have uh, read together as a church family the entirety of the book of Ephesians. We will have studied it together, and God, I believe, is calling us to faithfully live it out as the Lord calls us as a church family uh, to unity. As I've shared with you uh, before, I don't believe that these things are random. For instance, a uh, coming together to look at a certain epistle or certain letter of the word of the Lord. I don't think it's random that God brought us to this and then God began 
moving in other churches and other pastors' heart for us to join together last night as we joined together in worship unto Him in unity and in one accord. I don't think it's random that we are walking through this passage of Scripture. It's because the Lord desires unity uh, within our fellowship as well. And I just want to encourage each one of us that we must be long-suffering with one another. We can't have our feelings on edge. And again, I'm not speaking to anything that I know is going on or anything that I think is kind of latent under the surface. I'm just wanting to encourage us uh, before anything would get under our skin, don't let anything get under our skin. Let us walk faithfully in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us seek to live peaceably with one another. Let's go after the things of God as never before. Let's seek Him for our church and our community together. Last week, we talked about the beauty of the church and faithful wives and the glory of Christ and faithful husbands. And I pray that if you're married, you go back and read that passage once again, and you would seek to live it out in uh, your own home. This morning, the Bible is going to speak to us, is speaking to us about children and fathers and slaves and masters. And so I'd like us to look at these passages in their context and think about them as they relate to us as a group of people who are seeking to be faithful to the call of Christ. Remember that this letter is written to those who are in the church. So every single one of us has a responsibility to listen and to understand. This passage is not just written to those who may have biological children in the home. I believe it is parents' direct responsibility to raise their own children. The church is also responsible, the group of people, not church leadership. So I want to redefine maybe in your mind what you think about when you think about the church. When you think about the church or the church's purpose, the church's purpose is not found in church leadership doing things in order to bring about that purpose. When we talk about the purposes of the church, we have to look at each other And each other, we have to together bring about the purposes of Christ in our community. I can't identify a program that would call us to be unified in the Spirit. That's a work of the Spirit that we each have to pray for and long for. We can't identify a program that would say, this is the perfect way to raise your children. That, too, has to be a work of the Spirit, which is why the church, those of us collectively, must create an environment where children see the character of Christ exemplified in all different types of people and in all different types of situations. They see the character of Christ exemplified in those who are single, in those who are married, and those who are married without children, and those who are married with children. They see the character of Christ exemplified in men and in women and in teenagers and in young adults. We must create an environment like that so that collectively we are assisting the role of parents in order to raise up a godly offspring. Paul sees this, and he writes this to the Ephesian church in the first century, and he speaks to children very specifically, and he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The interpretation of that is, children are to be obedient to parents. Not a long, drawn-out exegesis here, but it's true that children ought to be obedient to parents. And we can think about all of the type of exceptions 
to that. We can think about, well, parents who aren't very good parents, parents who are unbelieving parents, parents in this situation or that situation. Should a child still obey those parents? And I would say to you that this morning, again, this letter is written to a believing community. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that the children's responsibility in the believing community is to be obedient to parents. The beauty of this command is that in the relationship between a child and their parents, it gives children a sphere in which to carry out their obedience to God. So if you're a child in the home or a young adult in the home or a teenager in the home and even beyond the home, there is still a responsibility for us to look to our parents and as best as it is within us to render obedience to our parents who are in the Lord. We have to recognize that children are a full part of the kingdom. They're not second-class citizens. They're not almost there citizens. But children are a full part of the kingdom. This is why the Lord says, Do not prevent the little children from coming unto me. Don't stop them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, those of us who are adults, the Lord says, we have to come to him as like a little child. And so God wants to work in such a way within us that the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted through the obedience of children to their parents. The word of the Lord says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the earth. A call to honor both parents. Paul's emphasis is from the notion that obedience to parents is found in the Ten Commandments and it carries with it a promise that by being obedient to parents, you may live long on the earth. It doesn't mean that those whose lives are cut short are disobedient to parents. We have to think and recognize that we're very far removed from a first century culture. We have to think about and understand what that culture was like in order to pull through the principles that are relevant to you and I. Any point in Scripture, we have to think, who was this written to and what did they live like and how did they understand this letter that was written to them? And then we can apply the text in our life. For a first century Jew... The notion of being a people of God was very important to them. A Jew collectively, they saw themselves as God's people, God's chosen people. When we think about the people of God, we often think about that in an individual, individualistic manner. I am a child of God. I am one of God's people. We tend not to think of much as much about it as a collective group. We are God's people together. Together, we are God's people moving in a common direction according to the power of the Spirit. Our culture, again, tends to be very individualistic. Their culture in that day was very communal. 
It would really have been an anomaly for someone to think of themselves as separated out of the community, even if their lifestyle did not reflect that holiness unto the Lord. They still identified themselves with the Jewish people. And so the promise that as an obedient child you will live long in the land is similar to the type of promise that was made to Abraham that says, I will make you a father of many nations. That father of many nations did not happen in Abraham's lifetime, but it was a promise to the people of God. In the same way, the promise that by being obedient to parents, children will live long in the land is a general promise to the people of God that collectively, as God's people, we have an interest together in seeing children who are obedient to their parents as unto the Lord. This is why this passage is important for all of us, because we have a a burden upon us to create a culture in which there is a, a desire among children to be obedient to mom and dad as mom and dad seek to model the precepts of Scripture. In order that, collectively as a culture, we may live long in the land. Now think about this according to our day. The Apostle Paul tells us that in the last days, that one of the signs that we will see is children who revile and are no longer obedient to their parents. That children have no affection for their parents, that there is a disconnect between mom and dad and child in the home, that in the last days there's going to be this growing disconnect between children and their parents. And so we look in the last days, and I believe that we have to look at the spiritual principle that is at work here. When children are allowed to bring chaos and disorder, the nation will not inhabit the land very long. Think about it. When collectively children in a culture are allowed to bring chaos and disorder and not follow after the ways of the Lord, that nation, that culture, that people is not far from losing their place in the land that God has promised. Last week we talked some about the world system that is at play in our day. And I believe that this is one of the greatest reasons that we see today of the attack on our children because the enemy is coming after them. The enemy is seeking to destroy them. The enemy is seeking to come against them in their mind and in their affections. And so the development of our children, when we think about children and raising children in a godly way to respect mom and dad, to respect mom and dad as mom and dad seek to follow the Lord, as we seek to do that and do diligence to that, it impacts our destiny as a people of God. So we have a reason 
to invest in the raising up of children. We have a reason to invest in, as Paul talked about in the previous few verses, the salvaging of marriages and bringing marriages back together because the primary place where children receive instruction is in that home unit. So as a church, we have to put people, resources, energy toward helping mom and dad live faithfully together, helping mom and dad stay together, helping mom and dad be in joy together, love the Lord together, that then children are raised up in that environment who see mom and dad love Jesus, mom and dad walked after Jesus, mom and dad followed the precepts of Scripture. I want to follow the precepts of Scripture, not just mom and dad, though. Not just mom and dad, because when I come to church, I see this family and 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 this family walking in the ways of the Lord. What mom and dad espouse, these other families also espouse. So my culture becomes that I am following Jesus. Now we have no ability to make a child or make a person to come to know the Lord, to be saved, to walk in His ways. That is a work of the Spirit. But I believe that we can create an environment where people are receptive to the truths of Scripture. The home must be such an environment. It must be such an environment where we talk about the precepts of Scripture, where we think about the precepts of Scripture, where the Bible is opened on a regular basis, where we read the Word of the Lord together, where we talk about what God is doing, where we testify of God's goodness. The church must be a place where we hear about God's grace and God's mercy at work. This is why I believe that in our times of corporate gathering, there should be children present. It doesn't bother me that kids are in the sanctuary. It doesn't bother me that there's a little rumbling, a little noise going on. It doesn't bother me that a baby cries out now and then because the Bible says that in the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. So we ought to get used to it and enjoy it and even welcome it. I understand that there are opportunities and we can teach on a level and other things, but I don't ever want to go in a church service where we don't have kids present. Who wants that? With all these kids up here this morning, who was looking at the adults? The joy of children. It is a joy for us to have children. It is a joy for God to bless and God to bring children. They're not a burden. Yes, they require work. Yes, I know a lot of you ladies go home and you work until you're burning the midnight oil and you get up and you do it again. I see my wife do it time and time again. Yes, I realize it's hard work, but they are a joy. One of the things that I believe is that when the Bible says something is a blessing, imagine the Bible says that low children are a heritage of the Lord. The, the, uh, I'm, I'm going to bungle the passage now that I'm up here in front of you. But the blessing, the blessing of the fruit of the womb. Now, if I were to read that, if I were to take that passage and I were to read something to you and say, low. $100 bills are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is, that's, what, that's where I, blessed is the man whose wallet is full of them. 
How many of you would be up here praying at the altar, crying out to Jesus, Bless my wallet, Lord Jesus! Fill my wallet, Lord Jesus! But when the scripture says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. We're like, whoa, that's a lot. (laughs) What God calls a blessing is truth. So we can conjure in our mind and think, okay, it's a lot of work. And we ought to use wisdom. We ought to use wisdom as families think about children. But I think we also ought to welcome and support and bring joy to those in our congregation that God may call to bless with many children. That's not everybody's calling. Because children are a blessing from the Lord. Why would we not want more of them in our fellowship? It's a perfect way to grow a church. The other thing I would say here, I got a call this weekend. Someone asked, I said, can we put a couple yard signs up at the edges of your property speaking to uh, uh, fostering and adoption? I think the church ought to be more invested in that as well. There is a calling upon those who serve in that capacity. There's many ways. Not everyone is able to welcome additional children into their home, but we can help others who do. We can be a support, and we can be a blessing, and we ought to be a support, and we ought to be a blessing. The church ought to be a place where we see the children. The Bible talks about the orphans and the widows, where we welcome the orphans, and we care for them, and we seek to train them and develop them and keep them in the ways of the Lord. Again, I pray that Riverstone Church is a place where children are loved and welcomed, and we find joy in them, not a burden, never a burden. They're never a burden. It is a joy to have children. It is a joy to welcome them in our home. It is a joy to see them grow and love Jesus. Amen. As a church, we must seek to raise children in such a way that they love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe God is stirring within us as a congregation, as individuals within our congregation, in ways to do that. We can't continue doing the same old, same old. We can't continue allowing the same old things to continue to be out there and not seek to rescue children when they need to be rescued. I believe that God is moving and God is percolating things within us that are going to come to the surface in a soon way in which our church can make an investment in seeking to raise up a godly generation. In verse 4, Paul goes further. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's other passages where Paul is writing to the Colossian church and other churches where he doesn't speak directly or individually to fathers. He speaks to parents generally, and this passage could probably be applied to both, but the scripture is very specific here that he is speaking to fathers, and so I want to speak to fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The reality is that all of us did not grow up with Christian fathers. We did not all grow up with even loving fathers. We did not all grow up with fathers who treated us well. 
Yet again, the Bible pushes us toward the ideal of what God has for us. Just like in marriages, the Bible pushes us to the ideal of what God has for us that we can call others, even if we ourselves have stumbled or whatever along the way, even if we have stumbled, we can call others up to God's ideal. If you've not been a good father today, you can start again, no matter the age of your children. The Bible says the Lord's mercies are new every single morning. His mercies have been renewed to you this morning. Maybe the relationship is so broken that today you begin interceding for your children. Maybe you're not able to pick up the phone. Maybe you're not able to make a call, but maybe today you begin to pray. Maybe you put it on your prayer list morning and evening, and you begin to intercede for wholeness where there once was brokenness. Maybe that is encouraging your grown children. Maybe that's sending them a scripture by text or something else along those lines. Maybe it's some way that you begin to repair a relationship if you've not been the father that you've even of yourself desired to be. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You know, it's like putting your thumb so heavily on a child that the child will rebel. It's not honoring unto the Lord. And so we must be careful of that. As parents, we ought to gain the wisdom of the Lord in order to know how to interact with our children in such a way that draws them to Jesus. We have to think ahead about their temptations and their own trials. Remember, these are not half-hearted or halfway citizens of the kingdom. They're full citizens of the kingdom. And to protect our younger brothers and sisters, we have to think ahead that when the time of discipline comes, is our thumb so hard that pushes them to rebellion? Or do we think ahead and create a situation where when discipline has to come, it's such a way that the Lord disciplines us that they see it out of love. And they're drawn to us, not pushed away from us. Hey, I understand that there are times when we get exasperated. I understand that there's times in the home where you want to raise your voice, where you want to probably maybe even throw something. Maybe y'all don't do that. But we have to think ahead. I don't throw things, by the way. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Fathers are responsible for ensuring that they do not provoke their children to anger. This involves avoiding attitudes, words, actions, which would drive a child to angry exasperation or resentment. It should rule out excessive discipline, harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, all forms of which are gross insensitivity to the needs of a child. We have to think ahead. 
We have to plan as we are going to train and to teach and to love our children. Fathers, we have a responsibility to be engaged with our children in such a way that they respect the Lord and they come to love the ways of the Lord. I grew up in a church where there were not many fathers within the church, not many men within the church. In fact, many ladies had to step forward and do the roles of ministry because the men were not very active. Absent fathers, no fathers, no spiritual, very few spiritual fathers. Growing up personally, what I respect about my father was he was a man who worked hard, a man who provide an income for our family. We felt safe in that and secure in that. But my father was not a believer. My father was not home all the time because he was working or hunting or doing other things. And so I did not have a father that was my direct father, my biological father, to develop me in the Lord. And so God provided people in my life in order to do that. First, as a young boy, it was to the father of my mother, my grandfather on my mother's side, who kept me with him, who took me on the farm with him. I remember in those days you didn't wear seatbelts. I remember standing up on the pickup seat, driving down the road with him, going to visit the farms, going to see what was going on. I remember my grandfather being very present, and when he passed away, when I was about 12 years old, another man stepped in my life who was my pastor at the time, a man who sought to help Develop me in the ways of the Lord. And this is why I say this is to all of us, brethren. There's not a man under the sound of my voice this morning, whether God has blessed you with biological children or not, that you don't have a responsibility to be in this community and help us to raise up godly offspring. There is something when the Bible talks about widows and orphans, and I think at times I look at my own family of origin and where I came out of and what God has done, and I would have seen myself at that time as a spiritual orphan. I would have seen my mom in some ways as a spiritual widow. There wasn't a man to step in the house to lead us in the ways of the Lord. My mom did the best she could. We tried to learn. We tried to understand. But this is where it was helpful in my context, in the context in which I grew up, that a man saw a need and he stepped in to provide the spiritual need. But what our culture wants to speak to us right now, what our culture says to us, if you look in the political sphere, if you look in the woke culture, another thing is that men are bad and ought to be kept away from kids. That's not the culture of the church. When a Christian man steps in, a Christian man exemplifies the love of Jesus who was caring and who was nurturing, who loved, who said, let the little children come. Yes, the church must protect kids. The church must be there as a bulwark between kids and sin. But there are men who you're living a faithful life, and God is calling you to step into the lives of those who are spiritually orphaned. Look around you. We have to look. We have to see. There has to be a place where young men and young ladies look around them and they see people faithfully walking out the precepts of Scripture. The role of the father is to bring the child up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first way to instill these values is to live them out. You are a living object lesson to the next generation. 
I believe that our children do not have to go off into a life of sin in order to figure it out and then come back to Jesus sometime later on. I believe that the Scripture teaches us that there is ways, and just like the song that they sang this morning, as we are faithful, a generation is risen, rises up that is faithful, and another generation is faithful, and another generation is faithful. The Scripture speaks to us about that. The Scripture speaks to us about what it means for faithfulness to flow from one generation to the other, but it requires us to live out the values we preach and talk about and think about. Brothers and sisters, if this is our guide for living in this world, and whatever time that you and I have left on the face of this earth, then let's embrace it wholeheartedly and walk it out faithfully. Why do it halfway? Why have one foot in and one foot out? Why do, would we simply want to come in church on Sunday and not walk it out Monday through Saturday? There is a generation crying out for faithfulness in men and women that are pointing the way, follow me as I follow Christ. The second way that we can instill these values is to teach them. We have some very faithful ladies in this congregation. Very faithful ladies who step up to the plate, who are willing to help, who are willing to pray, who are willing to engage. Brothers, we must do the same, and many of you are. So I'm not beating anybody over the head. I'm not trying to whack anybody today. Well, what I am trying to tell you, brothers, is that it's essential that each one of us step up. It's a blessing for a brother to lead the ministry and the discipleship hour for children. It is a blessing. I'm not doing an advertisement for those discipleship classes coming up in January. But I pray, brothers, that you'll fill the slots. Because it will be a blessing to you, and children need to see it. They need to see a man stepping up who takes seriously the Word of God. We must live out these values. We must also be faithful to instruct the next generation in them. Again, if you have children in the home, it does apply to your kids under your care, but it also applies to other children who are in this fellowship. Don't stop there. Unity of the Spirit with children... And with fathers, and finally, unity of the Spirit, this passage begins in verse 5 in our work. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. First of all, understand that even when we mention slavery in our culture, there's a little cringe that comes to us because what we have read, what we understand about slavery as it relates particularly to the American culture makes us cringe because of the harshness of it. Slavery in the first century was true, was harsh, and was challenging, and 
difficult, but culturally it was different from what most of us would understand or know about slavery in this culture. Conquered nations were certainly enslaved, but there was often, even in those enslaved people, a sense of autonomy. The Jews themselves were under the rule of Rome. They had been conquered, but enjoyed a sense of freedom, even though their nation had been conquered. It's also important for us to think about that it was not a commercial society like what we live in today that existed within the first century. If you were not a landowner, a member of the clergy, or a member of the military, you generally have very little rights as an individual. You would often enslave yourself to someone in order to have food and a place to live. So in that sense, there is a sense of likening what Paul is talking about here with regards to slavery, liking it to those of us who are in a job working for someone else. Within the first century, there would have been no sense, even among those who were enslaved, that the institution of slavery should be abolished. Slaves themselves were often in positions of authority and power. Slaves often had slaves of their own, particularly those who would serve within wealthy families. I just want to get you an understanding of what the culture would have been like. We cannot take a 21st century lens and place it on the first century culture. We have to work hard to know what that culture was. And these are the people to whom Paul was writing. Slaves were to called to be obedient with sincerity as to Christ. No grumbling behind the master's back. Paul says, don't be a man pleaser. But your attitude is to be that of someone who is a slave to Christ and seeks to do the will of God. In essence, what the Scripture is speaking to us about is the place where you find yourself. Whether it's under the thumb of someone who does not treat you well, the place that you find yourself is to be a place where you see yourself under the authority of Christ. And you're not to seek to be a man pleaser trying to get something out of someone, better treatment out of someone, better food out of someone, better economic treatment out of someone. You're not to be a man pleaser looking towards someone else to supply your need. You're to be focused towards God. The diligence of your service is unto God and not to men. We ought to work as unto the Lord. We've all been in situations where we're in a lateral level with other people in our workplace, where there's other people kind of in the same position or role as we are, and sometimes you get together and you begin to talk about the guy above you, how if he would do this, or he would act like this, or she would say this, or she would provide this, things would be a whole lot better around here. The Bible says that even as we work together, that we ought not be a place as believers where we are grumbling and complaining about those who are over us in the Lord. Just as in the case of husbands and wives, often we can't take our issues to the person that we feel like they ought to be directed at. We have to take them to the Lord. If we believe that God is going to solve the issue, if we believe that God is going to solve the problem, let's take those things to Him. You're not paid enough? Take it to God. Your boss treats you bad? Take it to God. You're in a situation 
that you don't understand and you wonder how is this going to work out? How is, God, how is this ever going to make ends meet? Take that situation to God. This is what the Scripture speaks to us. With good will render service as unto the Lord and not to men. I've made it a point wherever I have worked that I never see my paycheck as coming from the guy who signs it. My pay comes from the Lord. If I'm going to grumble and complain about what I'm being paid, then no, I'm grumbling and complaining against the Lord. And I'm not going to grumble and complain against the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord that what He is providing for me to live on, somehow the expenses and needs will fit within that context. In the times when it doesn't, God provides abundantly anyway. You've heard me share this story, I believe. This is what preachers do. They have so many stories and they start repeating them. I'm sorry about that, but I'm going to tell it again in case this is your first time. You'll be excited. But I remember a good brother, my wife and I were in Tennessee, and a good brother who knew a situation that uh, we were in, not an immediate need of anything, but uh, we were not producing much income at the point. We were working part-time at the church. I was working uh, part-time uh, teaching at uh, the, the, the uh, college there, and things still were not kind of uh, coming together, but God was faithful. We've never had, you know, I've never seen his seed out begging for bread. And so we've never had to be in that situation by God's grace. And a brother out of his kindness uh, blessed us with a very sizable uh, blessing. And my wife and I both were like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amazed at what God had done. We put it in the bank and we thought, finally, we can put some resources back. Finally, we can put some in savings for that time when we may need it in the future to have a little padding, maybe to do some things that we would like to do. And then the water heater died. And then the vehicle needed a few thousand dollars worth of repair. And it was something else and something else. So within a matter of just a few weeks, a month, little more than a month or so, the entire amount was sucked up by things that went wrong. <laughs> and my first response was, God, what's happening? We thought we finally had made some strides ahead, and now we're back to where we started again. And I was about to grumble, and I wanted to complain because it's nice to have a little padding, isn't it? And God spoke to my heart, and he said, I provided for every need ahead of time. I provided for everything that you needed ahead of time. And it shut my mouth pretty quickly. And I was thankful to God for what he had done. God has placed you in a vocation under, under a particular employer. And it is not a Christian practice for us to commiserate with others or commiserate within our heart about those who are over us. God has placed that person over you. That person is ungodly. That person is wicked. Pray to God to take care of them. Pray to God to move. Pray to God to provide another opportunity for you. But don't complain. And masters... Treat them, treat the slaves the same, do the same things to them, meaning, meaning be a person who has a similar attitude. Give up threatening, 
knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. If you're over someone, you also ought to try to follow and seek to follow the pattern of Christ. Don't threaten someone with their job. Come alongside. Walk with someone. Yes, I realize that there are times when there are things that are done in a workplace that require termination, but it doesn't have to be done in a spirit which is ugly, angry, and unchristlike. There can be a spirit of gentleness even when someone has messed up badly. We have to treat those under our leadership with Christ-like care. Because even if you're in the place of ultimate authority, you're not in the place of ultimate authority. You have a master as well, and his name is Jesus. And any of us who serve in a position or role of leadership, we will give an account to him as to how we treat others. And Paul is speaking to that, and he's speaking to these issues and these concerns within the church for a very particular reason, because he's after unity. He's after unity, not simply unity in your life, unity between you and Jesus, but unity between you and your relationships with other people, in the family, with your children, in your workplace. He's concerned about unity because all that comes into here. And when we want to see God move and we want to see God deliver and we're praying for revival and we're praying for community transformation, God has to be Lord of every aspect of our life. God has to be Lord in every place of our life. And we must seek as much as it resides with us to be in unity with the people that are in our sphere. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we are going to pray. I've thought about this time of prayer. Of what the Lord would speak to us and how the Lord would lead us during this moment. I shared it last week and I share it again this week. There is a needed and valuable place, ladies, for you to play in the church. Some of the most direct ministry in my life has come from faithful women of God who have spoke the right words at the right time in my life, who have prayed for me, who have taught me, who have welcomed me with love. So in no way do I want to exclude or minimize or set aside the value, the place, the need, the role of ladies in our church. But ladies, I believe that you'll give me this, that because we've approached this passage in the book of Ephesians, and the Lord, by the power of the Spirit, moved upon the Apostle Paul to pen these words, and he spoke to fathers in this moment, 
that you'll allow me the liberty to speak to men and to ask the Lord to give us wisdom over these next few moments. So brothers, what I'd like to say to you, whether there are children or not children in the home, God has a good role for you in His kingdom. You've not messed up so bad if you feel like you've messed up that there's not a role for you ahead. Maybe for whatever reason or for whatever purpose God has not blessed you with biological children and the economy of the kingdom. That doesn't mean anything in this moment because you're still responsible to provide leadership within the context and culture of this local church. There are young men who need you. There are those who are spiritually orphaned who need you. There are some young men, young ladies, even from a godly home who need another godly man to speak into their life. And in this church, we must have freedom to do that. Because I believe it's the word of the Lord. We don't throw caution to the wind. We don't approach things haphazardly. But we do want to approach things biblically. And so, brothers, I would like you to come to...